Would you please join with me in prayer? Lord, it's good to see your saints trickling back, masked up and yet rejoicing and singing your praises. We thank you that we are a people bought by the blood of the Lamb. And that as we continue through this kind of difficult process of loving others, I pray that you would do a new work in us as we walk in the newness of life you've given us, Lord Jesus. So therefore, Lord, take our minds and think through them. Take my lips and speak through them. Take our wills and bend them to your own. And take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you and for your son, Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. One of uh, Kimmy and my favorite actors, other than George Hampy, of course, is, is Tom Hiddleston. You may know him as Loki in the Marvel series, Disney+. Plus. Uh, Loki, the, the, the series is coming out June 11th. We can't wait. It looks like it's going to be amazing. Uh, but I, I love Tom Hiddleston as an actor, huge fan. Seeing him do all kinds of things. He's a Shakespearean-trained actor, and you can tell. Not, not often can a Brit play Hank Williams and speak with a Tennessee accent. He, he nailed it. It's a tragic story. I don't even encourage you to watch the, the movie called Seeing the Light. But um, anyway, he's a great actor. But we rediscovered in this time of COVID a, a, a role that he played in 2012 in a John Le Carre novel called The Night Manager. So it's a thriller, a spy, suspenseful novel. He plays Jonathan Pine a ex-British military officer, Iraq veteran, who finds himself in the hotel industry at the Nefertiti Hotel in Cairo during the Arab Spring, where he mistakenly stumbles upon an English arms trader who's selling American and British-made military items to terrorists all over the world. He's incensed by this. He's recruited by MI6. And his goal is to infiltrate this ring of arms dealers. You can imagine. He's smooth. And he's good. And what's absolutely amazing is that while he really is a British patriot, if you will, he's doing this for no other reason of just riding an evil done by one of his own countrymen. He's doing it. He's one person in one place, and he's a totally different person in another place. Well, that's what's going on with Peter here in Galatians. And we're going to look at this today as we're in a series on loving others well and emotionally healthy relationships. Last week we learned how to listen incarnationally to others. So I hope you, you got some practice on some people you know and love and are going to love you as you practice these types of skills. Just because as we learn to listen to others well, they feel loved, they feel valued, they feel cared for. And it's important that we, we, we get this down. And so it goes to the next step. What if when you're hearing something really bothers you about what you're hearing? 
What if what you're hearing is untrue? What if you have a coworker or a friend or someone who's just doing something that's bugging you? How can we represent the gospel well? Well, Paul is writing to the church in Galatia, which is modern Turkey today, where a group of Jewish believers in the church of Galatia are adding to the gospel. Because all these Gentiles are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And so this group from James is coming along and instructing these Gentiles that you shouldn't eat pork. And if you do, we won't have fellowship with you. You should be circumcised if you're a male. And, uh, you know, all kinds of laws that were clearly taken away. The ceremonial law taken away. The Jewish food laws taken away. Many laws were taken away except the moral code. Because one of the great things about the newness of life is he changes our desires to walk in the fullness of Christ. If anybody should have known this, it would have been Peter. He's the one in Acts chapter 10 receives the vision from the Lord with a sheet coming down out of heaven. And the Lord tells him, rise, Peter, go, eat. And he said, Lord, I've never eaten anything unkosher. And the Lord says, Peter, do not call unclean what I now call clean. And so Peter is caught up in this group and won't even eat with them. So it's important and even Peter knew that any time you add or subtract to the gospel, you have a false gospel. Well, we're going to look at Peter and company today and learn from their failures, number one. Then we're going to look at Paul's confrontation of Peter and how we can begin to be a people of integrity together here at Christ Church and speak the truth in love. How we can begin to do that. This is not something you're going to learn overnight. And then two, what do we ground this on? What do we ground this life of integrity on? All right. So first, let's look at Peter's failure. Verse 11. But when Cephas, that's Peter, okay, that's his name in Greek, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Peter failed at this juncture for four basic reasons. And when we look at these reasons, we can see that we all can succumb to them, honestly, when we all are honest with ourselves. First thing that Peter didn't get in the fellow group of Jews from James didn't get is that what you do as a Christian needs to flow out of what you believe. A lot of people don't get this, right? People get all kinds of theological degrees. They study hard. They go through all kinds of discipleship opportunities, and yet they don't live their lives consistent with what they profess. People can believe in Jesus is the only way to God and that everyone who doesn't believe will spend an eternity separated from God in hell. And yet, they spend 40 years next door to someone who doesn't believe in Jesus and never tell them about Jesus. You ask them if they love their neighbor and they'll say yes. You ask them if they believe in heaven and hell and they'll say yes. 
You ask them if they've ever told their neighbor about Jesus, they'll say no. We can believe that we're to store up treasure in heaven where moth and rust don't destroy and that the promises of God take care of us and that if we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, God will provide everything that we need. And yet, we hoard and we live our lives under our possessions. People can believe that sex is for marriage and marriage is for life. And that they're to love their wives as Christ loved the church, and yet they have pornography on their computer and their mobile devices. No, my friends, what's going on is that we have a tendency to not act in step with the truth of the gospel. That's what, the, in verse 14, Paul is saying. And we need to get that we need to, and it flows out of what we believe. Two, he didn't get that what you actually do shows what you actually believe. A lot of people don't get this as well. If you want to find out what you believe, just look at your calendar. Uh, because your time is the one commodity you never get back once it's spent. If you spend your time three hours every evening playing Fortnite or Overwatch on your Xbox, then what does it say about what you really think is important in life? Your schedule tells you more than your tax return because your tax return tells you what the government believes about you and you told them what to believe, right? It's who you spend your time with. You spend your time with during the week with, a, with all a bunch of non-believing friends with no time at all outside of fellowship with the body outside of Sunday morning. How do you get encouraged in the faith? How do you... Rub shoulders against people who, who want to encourage you and exhort you in the reality of the gospel. When you think about it, it's pretty amazing how Peter messed up here. Peter does understand that both Jews and Gentiles are part of the same family. But yet he wouldn't eat with the Gentiles when the Jews came. He wouldn't identify with these brothers. All right, let's put it in the 21st American menu. They're eating barbecue from the Dixie Pig, all right? And he won't eat with them. He's been eating with them, but not now, you see? He didn't realize that what he did was saying what he believed. And if you believe in justification by grace through faith in Christ alone, that means you have fellowship with those who believe in justification by grace through faith in Christ alone. Because if you don't, you're saying that whatever is the difference between you and the other is what really justifies you. Third, he didn't get that what you do will change what others believe. Even Barnabas, Paul says, the great encourager is led astray to do what the Jews did. What we do tends to be what other people follow. And if what we do doesn't go in step with what we believe... Likely as not, people will follow what we do rather than what we say we believe. We always say that to parents. You know, we say it to our kids. Do as I do. You know, not merely what I say. You know, you've all, we've all known parents and people in authority that have said, just do as I say, not do as I do. Well, it doesn't work that way, does it, quite frankly? It's so important for us, therefore, for us to be in the Word of God, to know what we believe and why, 
and fellowship with others, talking about it, processing it, asking questions of it. For isolated people begin to believe their own thoughts and their lives begin to show it. And in the end, people are going to do what you do. And if what you do doesn't pull out of what you believe, it will undermine everything you profess and what you stand for. The fourth mistake Peter made is that he didn't believe that what you do will change what you believe. And it does. You believe one thing, but you start to do something else. Soon, you'll begin to change what you believe to fit with what you're doing. What you do has an impact on your belief. Peter believed in justification by grace through faith in Christ alone. And because he began not to eat with others, he began to believe the opposite. He began to believe a Jesus plus gospel. It was undermining the work of the gospel in Galatia, not just in its influence, but in Peter's heart as well. And this happens all the time, and it always starts small, doesn't it? An occasional, eh, I'll skip my time with the Lord today. He'll understand. An occasional, let's not bother to go to church this week. It's a little thing, and bit by bit, it not only influences those around you, it begins to influence you as well. All, like Peter and the Jews, who weren't conducting their lives in step with the truth of the gospel. They didn't get those four things. Repeating again, what you do as a Christian flows out of what you believe. Two, what you actually do shows what you believe. Three, what you do will change what other people around you believe. And four, what you do changes what you believe. So Paul's got a mess. We've got a whole group of leaders in this church that are teaching a Jesus plus gospel. It's just as much a mess when you have a Jesus minus gospel, which we have in so many churches today in America, right? I don't know many legalistic churches. There's a few left, but not in Cleveland so much, right? Really? Not many. Those of you are shaking your head, Tim. You're going, yeah, they probably are. But my point is there just seems to be a greater uh, emphasis on subtracting from the gospel. Oh, Jesus didn't really mean that. Or the Bible doesn't really mean that. Same thing, right? Quite frankly. So how do we correct such thinking? In our lives, as well as others we love and those where we live, work, and play. Well, Paul teaches us how to be a person of integrity. That they're the same person on the golf course as you are Sunday morning. They're the same person in the pub Friday night as you are on Sunday morning. You're the same person in the neighborhood as you are on Sunday morning. At work as on Sunday morning. No matter, we're the same person because we're God's child. So what does Paul do? Verse 14, but when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Paul's not walking on eggshells here. He knows who he is. And he asks Peter question in front of everybody. He's expecting an answer, by the way. (laughs) Okay? How 
though a Jew, live like a Gentile, not like a Jew. How can you force the Gentiles to live like a Jew? It's clear what's going on. They're adding to the gospel, and Paul will have none of it. And Paul has to say something. So again, when it comes to points of disagreement, beginning something bothering you about another person, A, that's a question you can ask. Get to the belief below the belief, right? Just ask questions. What's a common ground that you have? And then point them to the reality of God's word. We'll talk a lot about this as we go into Pentecost season, okay? And this week in our little churches, Pete Scazzaro is going to take us through the ladder of integrity, which is not conflict resolution. We're going to talk about fighting clean next week. How do you, when you really disagree with somebody, I mean, really, there's a disagreement here. How can you fight in a clean way and respectful way to honor God and honor the other person that's created in the image of God? That's a lost art in our culture. Maybe if we can just get this, we'll see the Holy Spirit move through us because nobody else is like this, right? Different political parties, different races, difference of, of theology, whatever it might be, we can make an impact in our culture just by the way we have such discussions. So, so Pete says, why don't you first, before you even think about talking with somebody, climb the ladder of integrity. It's, it's basically a tool based on this passage. Number one, explain what's going on inside of you. You answer that for yourself. Don't ask the other person. Explain what's going on inside of you. Two, explain to yourself, what, what, what am I valuing here? Why is this important? And three, what do I hope to happen? Okay? So what are some questions you can ask to what's going on inside of you? Well, what's the issue? Why am I anxious about this? What's my part in this issue? Because <laughs> sometimes... You realize it's all on you, so you don't even have the discussion because it's all your problem, not theirs, right? Sometimes. What's my need? What's my feeling? What's my, what, and what does my reaction to this issue tell me about myself? So that's what's going on inside of me. Well, what, what is it that I value? Why is this important? What, what I'm willing to do, what I'm not willing to do. What's the one thing that I can own in this co potential conflict? And the most important thing I want the other person to know is blank. I want them to know this. They, don't, they, they may have not had any idea. So we want to get that across. And the last section is, what do I hope to come out of this? I think the discussion will benefit our relationship by blank. And two, I hope and look forward to blank. All right? It, that's a lot of steps, and, and that's why I divide it up into three areas first. What's going on inside, what I value, what I hope for, and then the other steps just kind of come naturally. But I ask myself those questions first before I talk to that person who hasn't returned my text, you know, won't return the phone call, <laughs> won't uh, return an email. Just a crotchety person in my workplace, right? Whatever it might be that you're going through. Just basic helps so that 
A, we're not walking on eggshells, and B, we're grounding this in the soil of the gospel. And that's the next step. You know, you get the sense when you read this passage that Peter didn't really mean it. You know? He just kind of got swept up in this. You know? Uh, he, he, he was going along with the path of least resistance. He got scared. You know? We've all done that, probably. And what he was doing was putting on a mask in front of the Gentiles and the Jews. The only way you're going to stop putting on a mask is to realize that you are okay in Jesus Christ. Remember the picture behind the word hypocrisy. And notice that word is used twice in this passage. Hypocrisy. No one wants to be known as a hypocrite. You know? Uh, the picture behind that word is acting. Going onto the Greek stage and pretending to be something or someone that you're not. To wear the style of others because you think that they're okay and you are not. Speaking like the crowd because you think they're okay and you are not. Living, parenting, walking among our non-believing neighbors where we live, work, and play because we think they're okay and we are not. The only realize the only way to realize that you are okay is to realize God's love for you, for he lived for you, he died for you, and rose for you, warts and all. The, there isn't mere future justification. There's justification in the present tense. Because we're right before God now. Look at verse 15. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to, to be justified in faith in Christ. And not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. When a person grounds their entire being on the reality of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. He's in right standing with God the moment he believes that and trusts that. They're right before God. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And they can take off the mask. <laughs> it's not worth wearing. And begin to live life to the only audience that matters, God alone. And when I mess up, and I will, I repent and return to the Lord. As difficult, as painful as that might be, right? But that's what we must do. And God gives his grace instantly to us in true repentance. And he remembers our sin no more. I don't know about you, but I, I find this passage convicting. You know, because we tend to add to the gospel or subtract from the gospel. And I've made mistakes in my life. I've been a hypocrite at one time or another. I have feared man. I've acted in ways contrary to the gospel. I found it painful and difficult to repent fully and change as a result. But the reality is we can, like John Wesley, in front of a culture of absolute evil, 
I mean, England in the mid-1700s, the 18th century, was, was an awful place, friends. It was not nice. Slave trade was thriving. Child labor was common practice. Orphans were running around the streets of all our major cities. And lo and behold, this five-foot, fiery-eyed guy, he was a small dude. But when he spoke, he spoke a booming power and grace, and he just captured the attention of the culture. But he knew the slave trade was evil. So he went to the number one slave trading city in the United Kingdom, which was Bristol. Went to the auction block, stood up on the auction block, and started to proclaim the good news of the gospel for them and the slaves. And spoke how evil the slave trade was. <laughs> Do you think he had a lot of followers at that time? He was attacking the pocketbook. So the thugs and the intimidation began to happen to him and the other Methodists in Bristol at the time. And it was intimidating. Now, we may not have that kind of intimidation. But we need to be firm and resolved no matter what anybody is asking us to do. Because as he was firm and resolved, he never saw the abolishment of the slave trade in his lifetime. He died and it was still active. But a few years later, it ended. And then in 1830, the institution of the slave trade was abolished. It took 30 more years. Had 80 years from the time he first started proclaiming it and starting to have influence in the members of parliament. And it changed. But it was after he was gone. We may not see the fruit of our labors this lifetime. That's okay. We need to be faithful right now. So when someone else wants you to go out and get wasted, or you're under pressure at work to do something which isn't quite kosher. Or, you know, you look at all the parents around us and they, you, you feel like you're the odd man out because you're not parenting exactly the way they are. Because they're, they're all kid-based parenting and you're trying to raise this kid that they, as loved as they are by God and how much mom and dad loves them, they're not the center of the universe, Jesus is. We have intimidations too. But I hope that you understand that the foundation of it is all is that you are a beloved child of God, justified by faith, not through your works, as these Jewish followers of James were starting to teach, and get a big picture of how much God loves you, thereby not fearing people intimidating us to do things that are clearly outside of God's will for us. And Paul is sharing us this story. So that we, unlike Peter, at this point in his life, can live lives of integrity. That we are the same person no matter where we are, as we are this morning. And when we do mess up, and we will, we return to the blood of the cross and the reality of our justification. So my prayer as we go about this week, in that we would have an opportunity to be like Paul here. That when we hear something quite off kilter, we start to ask questions. 
get to the question behind the question or the question behind the statement. Be bold in love. And when we begin to drift like Peter, we'll get back into acting in step with the truth of the good news of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a, what a privilege it is to, to walk in your fellowship together as your people. That we can be like Paul. We can be like John Wesley. We can, we can usher in change even in our day because we're justified in your sight because of our trust in you, Lord Jesus Christ. And because we're justified, we, we don't have to get swept away with the, with the current of our culture. And that we can follow you in our day with great hearts of affection for you and one another. And it would truly be contagious in our day. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.